From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. He's supposedly in the queue and I don't see him. Hello. You're up and you're up and running, Ron. You're up and running, Ron. Okay, my apologies. We had some uh, technical difficulties getting me connected into the show, which makes it very interesting. But hello, welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show, and I'm honored that you're joining us today. And I'm honored that I'm joining myself today, quite frankly, <laughs> given the uh, the tough start there. But I love to cover. Uh, so uh, I'll try to keep my pace up here. The past few months we've been doing a series on alternative investments, but today we decided to take a little detour. Maybe that's why we're having technical problems. I've been getting a number of very good questions from our listeners and from various people from the media, so I thought we'd share some of those questions and my responses today. Hopefully you'll not only enjoy today's show and maybe pick up an IRD or two, but I'm hoping it will encourage you to submit your questions, whether you do it during the show or via email. Now, of course, I didn't check with all of those other difficulties with the app, if we have the chat window. Hello, Pete. I've got you back. Go ahead. Okay. All right. As we said, welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show and technical problems on Monday morning. But anyway, in many cases, I'll reference past shows where we can, where you can get additional information, which was a nice confirmation for me, by the way, that we're covering topics that are helpful to you and other listeners. I cannot guarantee you'll either agree with or even like some of my answers, but I can assure you that each of the answers are consistent with what I believe and know based on my many years of experience investing in various markets and various economic cycles. I can also assure you that each of the answers is consistent with, or more correctly, don't violate any of the Ten Commandments of investing. Admittedly, we haven't revealed all those commandments on this show to date, one of many good reasons to tune in each time we air this show. And if you can't listen to one of our shows live, you can find them in the archives and listen at your convenience. A few tips that I don't mention often that I thought I would share with you today, and uh, I still don't see the chat window, but that may be part of our technical uh, nuances. That's the worst that happens. I guess we can live through that. Uh, hopefully we haven't lost all of our listeners yet. The uh, tips are, first of all, at the uh, bottom of the, uh, when you're listening from the uh, archive, uh, the uh, Radio Player has a little button at the bottom that has a download button. If you click that, you can actually download a copy in MP3 format. You can listen on your MP3 player, or you can burn a CD in the usual CDA format and then play it on any CD player. Now, I occasionally do that and re-listen to our past shows while I'm driving. Another tip is the link we send you in our email is exactly the same 
uh, link that'll take you to the archive, so you don't have to uh, look for a new link, although that'll always be. And that's the third tip. As our regular listeners know, you can always find the full list of past shows by date or just do a search by topic, www.wealthdna.us. Now, some of my answers today, just like some of the topics we occasionally cover on this show, will contradict what you have stored in your wealth files. And if you haven't read the book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker yet, make sure it's on your reading list. Now, would my answers ever contradict what your wealth files? Of course they would. And why, though? Very simply, somewhere in your past, either as a child or when going to school or maybe during your career, you received contradictory information from somebody else. Now, very often when I respond to listeners in the media, and I'm going to say it now, at the very beginning of my response, I'll remind you that you should never take financial advice from someone poorer than you are. So if they've got less money than you are, don't take financial advice from them. It could have been your fifth grade teacher who indelibly imprinted on your brain that she lost money in a particular investment and you should never, ever put money in that investment. Now, that same fifth grade teacher may now be retired living solely on Social Security and some teacher's pension. She may not have a single dollar saved for a rainy day and she was the one who determined what's in your wealth file. Personally, I'd rather take financial advice only from multimillionaires and billionaires. When others share their tips and advice, I may just thank them or disagree with them, depending on whether they're listening or they're just advising me. And occasionally, you've seen both those cases. Now, I might also remind them of SEC's disclosure statement. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, meaning just because they had a good experience or a bad experience doesn't mean I will. And an extension of that is to be careful who you choose as your financial advisor. Do they really understand and and invest in what they recommend? Or are they just trying to increase their commission income? I thought I'd share a quote that's relevant to some of the questions I answered recently. It's a quote I mentioned on at least one past show. Zig Ziglar said, Rich people have small TVs and big libraries. And poor people have small libraries and big TVs. Today is April 22nd, 2013. It is 914 in Phoenix, Arizona, and obviously we are behind schedule because of the technical problems. It's, it's uh, uh, noon, uh, well, 1214 on the East Coast, and it, it is 614 a.m. in Hawaii. Now, you'll, never, you'll notice I never mention the time in Russia, since they have six or seven time zones. The answer depends. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. Finally, after some real problems at the beginning, I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, you can hear it on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. And there you'll find the shows with more detail to questions I answer today. We welcome your comments and questions during the show. I'd like to make this informal and welcome your questions and even your comments if you disagree. Some people may not be right, but they sure have the right to their opinion. Now, you can use the chat window if it does appear. I'm, uh, oh, I am seeing the chat window. Okay, that's excellent. Chat is back up and working. I do get that message ready. Thank you, uh, Pete. And uh, I just didn't scroll down far enough. So anyway, there is a chat window. You can use that to, to uh, send in your question or comment. 
uh, or you can, of course, call in. Although I will admit the call-in number, we've had some real difficulties today. It is 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of your screen, 917-388-4162. But if you put in a question there, we'll try to address it as well. But as I mentioned, I've got a lot to cover, a lot of questions I've gotten, some very good questions, so they deserve a good response. Now, the U.S. equity markets, after a choppier week last week, are off to a mixed or flat start. They basically went up and down a little bit today and not really anywhere specific. Uh, and some of the markets are up a little, some of them are down a little bit. They seem to be going more up now than down. Asia was more up than down, and Europe is mixed. Brazil is down. As we go through this show, I'd like you to think about the answer to this question. Now, the answer, by the way, is the same. It applies to every one of us, regardless of our age. What investment has the highest return and lowest risk of all? Okay, so what investment has the highest risk and lowest return, uh, lowest risk, highest return, lowest risk of all? Okay, and I'm not going to answer that, of course. I'm going to have you think about that, and we'll come back to it later. I have shared the answer to this, by the way, on at least one show in the past, but I seem to stump people each time I ask. I won't give you the answers I mentioned until a little bit later, so feel free to put in the chat window your answer. And uh, before I give you that answer, I'll then give you full credit for being at the top of the class and certainly among those with a high wealth DNA. Okay, let's jump into the first of several questions we'll talk about today. The question is, how do I start a new career after I retire? Well, and obviously they, they sent it to me because they know I had done that. In my written answer, I covered uh, more detail about my own personal situation. Uh, but on the show, I want to focus on the key questions you should ask yourself so that you can create a list of alternatives. And a longer list of alternatives is better because it lets you choose from a larger pool. Number one, do you need additional income during retirement? This is a key question. Do you need additional income, or are you just looking for ways to fulfill some ambition or trying to share your skills to help other people? Big difference in the path you'll pick, so ask yourself that question first. Now, if you do need additional income, then your focus should be on income-generating opportunities. Now, some of the obvious things to consider are continuing to do what you've been doing full-time but do it on a part-time basis, either with your former employer or others. You might even register for temp agencies who place people with that skill set. And there are more and more, quite frankly, most of the job growth we've seen in the U.S. since the Great Recession are indeed temp and part-time positions. Now, if you don't need the additional income, you have a much broader range of opportunities to utilize your skills, experience, and interest. And that's the number two question to ask yourself. What do you like to do with your spare time? What skills of yours would be valuable to others? Now, I'd like to suggest you also meet with SCORE. That's the uh, core of retired uh, executives and SBDC counselors. And these are if you will, government-funded free programs to help you inventory your list of opportunities and your inventory of skills. And they can look at the opportunities they see in the marketplace and work with you. And yes, we did have a score counselor on the show, Tom Legering, in the show back in November 22, 2010. And we had an SBDC counselor, Michael DeHustelar. No, that's a tough name, but you'll find it there. Michael DeHustelar on May 9th, 
2011. So if you're not familiar with those programs, we talked about them, especially the SBDC in detail with Michael. So those were the shows, November 22nd, 2010, May 9th, 2011. Again, all of these are in our archive, just a matter of looking. If you owned a company or had a broad executive or management role, you might want to offer your services as a score counselor. You see, that gives you the opportunity to help other business people, and you'd also see what skills are lacking in your local area. You just might be able to supplement them. Who knows? You might just meet the person who introduces you to your next career while doing that counseling. Other people recommend, and I'm sure it's a good avenue, is volunteering with various charities as a great way to meet other like-minded people. And you should attend networking meetings. Networking meetings that are relevant to your areas of interest. Now, there are websites these days, like Meetup, that help you find these groups and where they meet. And in Phoenix, we actually have one that probably lists about a 1,000 meetings going on at, uh, every single week. Each of the suggestions I made are intended to accomplish one thing, and that's why I want you to keep in mind the perspective. You need to meet more people. The more people you meet, the broader range of opportunities you will see. Above all, take time to gather information before you make that decision. You'll find there are more opportunities than you have time. Now, in my particular case, I'll share a little bit of that. This was back in 2007. When I was leaving Europe, I decided to take a few months, and I actually took several months of that, to decide what part of the world I'd live in. And during that time, and mostly after we decided, um, because I already knew it would be a warmer climate, and then we eventually figured it would be the southern U.S., and as we hunted around, I started looking at what I wanted to do when I grew up. Now, it wasn't long before I started to meet people who were approaching me with requests for my help. Now, I consider myself a good Christian and said, well, why not try to help some people in the process of building this business? So I now knew there was a market opportunity for what they were asking for. Now, I didn't want to hand them money, especially we're talking in hundreds of thousands of dollars, and uh, wish them well, and I would risk my financial future. But if I could find a way to help those people, and at the same time make it profitable for me, why not? It seemed to make obvious sense. Help people and still make a living in the process. I took some time to analyze the opportunities they brought and whether I could make them profitable for me and good for them. Now, the end result was forming a residential real estate fund that finances properties for both homebuyers as well as other real estate investors. Both were demands I was being asked about. My objective was to use my skills, which I do, and the experience, but not to do it, as I mentioned, charitably. I wasn't going to give away my money and risk my future, but I was looking for ways to invest my assets that would give me above average returns. So in other words, I shouldn't be worse off investing in a way to help them than I would be by investing in the financial markets. But if I could do that, then I'm helping people and at the same time earning a good return. Now, as I got to know more about investing in residential real estate, I found many such opportunities. And yes, the real estate fund does help people and clearly helps the local economy. Thus, we have the attributes of most charities. But we run the fund on a for-profit basis. And I find many people like myself who are looking for ways to earn a higher return, and providing a social benefit in the process is a nice plus. 
The conversation with those people is much more interesting and much more fun from my perspective than soliciting thousands of people for small charitable contributions if I was helping a charity. During the next few years I developed this fund, I realized I had the opportunity to specialize in those aspects which best utilize my finance background. Now, of course, the funding, uh, the, the fund timing if starting this thing back in 2007, now with perfect hindsight, we all realized I started investing in real estate just as the housing crisis was accelerating and the Great Recession had begun. Now, there is a bright side. I had plenty of opportunity to use my finance background. In addition, rather than outsourcing the accounting and financial reporting, we do it in-house. I know how to do that stuff. But there are aspects of my background and experience that I wasn't taking full advantage of, and that was the financial investments and the Ten Commandments of Investing, which I published while I was in Europe. And I always wanted to compile them in a book, and that ultimately led to the show, the Wealth DNA Radio Show, and now two books that I don't have enough time to work on. At least yet. Now, regular listeners recall the objective of this show and those books is to help one million people become millionaires. Now, the timing of starting this show was by far better than my timing in real estate, since we're in the early years of millions of baby boomers retiring. There are certainly a lot of baby boomers who need to gain some skills in investing and wealth building. Now, hopefully these pointers and maybe my examples will provide you with some enough and at least enough information, if there's some information in there for sure, but enough information to start you down that journey of starting another career at retirement if you choose to do that. And I hope that a few people listening to this show will be inspired enough to say that they'll partner with me in this real estate fund. It's no secret, I am searching for three equity partners to join BI Solutions Corp., ideally with complementary skills. We don't need three or four finance people. Hopefully together with those partners, we'll achieve twice or maybe tenfold what I could achieve on my own. Incidentally, the overall mission of the fund is financing residential properties. And that hasn't changed since the early days, but at the beginning, we had two solutions back in 2007. Now, as I've learned more and as we've seen more needs and more people contacting us, we're up to 15 solutions in 31 flavors. Yes, I borrowed that expression from Baskin-Robbins. Now, I don't plan to add any more solutions or expand the geography. In other words, don't make it more complicated until one or more of those people join me and they see a need that we can address profitably by working together. Now, if you're wondering about when the first of those two books will be published, well, the date keeps slipping as more and more clients contact us for our help. So many opportunities, so little time. Now, let me summarize this topic by going back to the number one question I started with. Do you need additional income during retirement? If you answered yes, then both this real estate fund and the Wealth DNA Radio Show you're listening today just might be things you want to look into. Keep staying, well, stay with the radio show, and maybe we should talk about how the real estate fund would help your income. Now, why do I say that? Well, it was also the final answer of my answer to the uh, questions I got on this topic. Millionaires don't need a salary if they can earn a good return on their assets. That's why. So if you've accumulated enough money, you don't need a salary to earn a good return 
as long as you're good, earning a good return on your assets. Okay, So you can earn plenty of money just on those assets. Now let's move to the second of several questions we'll talk about today. And like I said, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Now, in each case, they won't be as long because I'll be building on what I just talked about. So this question uh, was, what are my top financial or wealth tips for seniors? Okay, they were talking the baby boomers and beyond. This one, I can quote almost directly from my email response. And I won't talk about the equally important health tips that I wasn't asked about, but there is an important balance. If you use my wealth tips, your portfolio will certainly outlive you. But if you'd like to do what I want you to do, to work on your health aspects too, I want you to have at least a little risk of outliving your portfolio. So we don't want you dying too early. Neither of these scenarios is better than the other. My wish for you is you have a long, healthy life struggling to outlive your portfolio. That's certainly what I'm trying to do while growing my portfolio to make the struggle even harder. Why not? Uh, the chat window sound keeps cutting out. How about that? Wow. Um, hmm, okay, I don't know about the sound. We are having technical problems. Clearly, the uh, the the host uh, website, the uh, Blog Talk Radio, is having technical problems today. I'll try to make sure I'm speaking clearly. All of my connections are clear, but uh, thank you for letting me know, John. But let me try to stay in one position because occasionally my movement does cause the microphone to fade a little bit. Okay, so these are tips for seniors, for you and your for your portfolio to outlive you, if you will. Tip number one, I already shared with you at the beginning. Don't take financial advice from people poorer than you are. Tip number two, when getting investment tips and recommendations, ask two pointed questions of the person providing that advice. How much of your assets you have invested in that or that way? And your second pointed question, how much in fees or commissions do you earn if we decide to invest that way? Now, you might also want the salesperson to convince your kids, if they're knowledgeable in personal finance, or to convince your financial advisor that this investment is appropriate for your portfolio. Now, I completely forgot when I answered uh, in my email to also send me your uh, send me a little of your backgrounds. I need to know about your background, your financial situation, and ask my opinion. I'll give you some advice. Now, tip number three for seniors: paying off your mortgage, which we've covered in the recent show on March 25, 2013. This show was titled, Your Home is Not Investment. And during July and August of 2011, excuse me, 2011 uh, our series on OPM. Now, I didn't say opium. I said the letters OPM, other people's money. The simple answer to this question, uh, this, to this tip, paying off your mortgage, the simple answer, do not. Now, if anything, if you qualify, refinance to have less equity in your home. Now, many People have heard that paying off their mortgage is the best thing they can do. That advice, and we talked about it in that show, is based on the experience that many people had during the Great Recession. Oh, sorry, Great Depression. This is way back in the 30s. A large percentage of the people who lost their homes wasn't due to their inability to pay. It was due to the mortgage loans being callable. 
or as their mortgage was called, even though they were making their payments. Now, check your promissory note and mortgage, and you have a copy in your files. You'll see they're no longer callable. Now, during the Depression, people that had large mortgages on properties, like the Hilton Hotel chain magnets, were the last, if ever, to get foreclosed on the Hiltons did not. Since the bank would have a loss and would have difficulty selling that property, they didn't foreclose on those people. They foreclosed on those with equity. Now, mortgages provide some of the lowest cost funds available out there, and we affectionately call OPM. Now, it doesn't take a great deal of investment savvy to invest those funds to earn much higher returns. And remember, this is a very important aspect of this. There are two ways to pay off your mortgage. You can either pay it off or have the funds available to pay it off. The fixed mortgage, uh, fixed rate mortgage debt comes with inflation protection that most people don't realize. It's at no extra charge. As interest rates rise and your investment returns rise, your debt stays low. Okay, So that's information, inflation protection free of charge. All right, tip number four, maintain some allocation to equities. See, equities outperform almost every other investment in the long run. This, by the way, is the ninth commandment of investing, which we'll talk about, obviously, in the future. As a senior, you might want to focus more on boring stocks, dividend-paying stocks, and MLPs, which we talked about on a prior show, Master Limited Partnerships, rather than growth stocks. But it's a major mistake to allocate too little of your assets to equities. Now, even my father, when he was 99, I maintained an allocation of his portfolio to equities. And that was about 20%, as I recall. Incidentally, he outlived his portfolio when he died one and a half years ago. So the key is to keep following these tips. Tip number five. When withdrawing funds from various investment types, when you're retired, you're basically drawing from funds that you have in your portfolio. First, use the available cash. Second, use interest and dividends from your investments. So if you need to spend some of it, that's what you do next. Third, sell some of your fixed income investments. Last, absolute dead last, sell your stocks. Now, periodically, when you reallocate your portfolio, selling the winners and buying the underperformers, so in this case, over the last number of uh, years, you might be selling some of your stocks and buying gold, or you might be, uh, prior to that, selling off some of your bonds and buying stocks at the bottom. That'll provide your funds for the next withdrawal. All right, tip number six. Mortgage notes pay monthly and outperform other fixed income investments. Now, only 1% to 2% of the population, and most of them are uh, the type that listen to this show, realize that private individuals can own and even originate private mortgage loans. The, the rest of the population has no clue. Now, is it a coincidence that only 1% to 2% of the population is wealthy? I'll let you decide. Now, our listeners, as I mentioned, do know this. And I suggest you go back to the shows, April 8th of uh, 2013, that was our last show with Eddie Speed, and the Learn to Earn a Higher Return shows we had on March 27th of 2012 and July 23rd of 2012. Now, part of the explanation of why so few people are aware that you can uh, hold and uh, own or originate mortgage notes 
is that commissioned financial advisors have no benefit, no benefit to letting you know that these mortgage notes exist and that you can invest in them. Incidentally, these mortgage notes are exempt from SEC regulations since they're secured by real property. Now, why lend your money to a bank and earn less than 1%? And the bank, in turn, originates mortgages using your money, and they earn 4 to 6%. Just cut out the middleman, the banksters, and earn that full 4 to 6% or more. And as interest rates rise, you'll be able to buy or originate mortgage notes with higher and higher returns. Some more inflation protection. And tip number seven, this is my seventh and, and final for seniors to today, review the Ten Commandments of Investing regularly and tune, tune into the Wealth DNA radio show every two weeks. Now, let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA radio show. Even though we had problems at the beginning, we are the Wealth DNA radio show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you've missed some of the prior shows, like the ones we did on investing in real estate or other ones on alternative investments, or if you want to re-listen to them, where do you find them? On the archives, www.wealthdna.us. Now, if you want to get an email reminder of each of our shows, if you're not already getting it, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or in the upper left-hand side of your screen, there's a picture of the boomer and the bait. Just click the follow button below that. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to uh, send us a a question or suggestion. Just use the chat window below. That's the uh, easiest way, and it is working now. Or you can call in, 917-388-4162. And it is at the top of the screen. And yes, I do welcome different viewpoints and counter-arguments. Today, we're answering some of the great questions we've received recently. Now, I received another question which affects seniors. The question was, do I have long-term care insurance and do I recommend it? Well, we don't have enough time to answer this topic today. We plan to do an entire show with an expert on long-term care. I can, however, share with you at the moment that I don't currently have long-term care insurance, LTC insurance as we affectionately call it, and I haven't researched it enough to comment either way. But in general, I am not a fan of insurance. I'd rather self-insure. Even with health insurance premiums, by investing the money I would have spent on health insurance, which, by the way, is about $4,000 for myself and my wife, for the lowest cost, catastrophic care with a $6,000 deductible. In other words, something that will only kick in on major events, the amount I'm accumulating in my portfolio makes me feel pretty comfortable I'll be able to handle almost any health crisis in the foreseeable future because I'm earning interest on the money I would have spent on health insurance. And that's what what self-insurance is all about. But you see, recently the U.S. government has its infinite wisdom that I never understand, and they don't want even wealthy people to self-insure. So sometime in 2013, I will have to buy a low-cost policy since the alternative is to pay additional taxes to the government. Now, while I'm mentioning that, I should add there are three other related topics I want to have experts on to address on future shows. This health insurance topic, especially this year before this whole Obamacare kicks in, uh, and that's for people that don't have insurance, as uh, as, as in my case, or 
those that aren't sure they have the most cost-effective coverage. Secondly is annuities, a topic that most seniors are absolutely bombarded with sales pitches, and that is a good indication there are high commissions involved. And another topic, reverse mortgage. A reverse mortgage is another topic that most seniors are bombarded with sales pitches. I was shocked, actually, just this past week that a good friend of mine has chosen to do a reverse mortgage, even though he would have qualified to do a traditional mortgage and could have invested those funds. Now, I personally feel bad about it since we haven't had a chance to have an expert on that topic yet. Uh, of course, on this show, and we will, nor did I have a chance to prepare some analyses that would have helped uh, our listeners and uh, friends of mine that, uh, you know, what the numbers look like so that he could have made a decision rationally rather than emotionally. But that's water under the bridge. Let's move on to the third question we'll talk about today. What are some suggestions for paying off a major debt on a credit card? Now, before I give you my answer... I'll, I'd like to go back to that question I asked you at the very beginning. Let's double-check the chat window if anybody has responded. I don't see one. So remember the question. If you have a quick answer, let me know. What investment has the highest return and lowest risk of all? All right, any quick responses on that one before we uh, give you the answer? Ding, it's too late. I'm giving you the answer now. Uh, the correct answer is paying off your high-interest credit card debt. Best way to invest your money. Oh, so simple. And yet, so many people, it's not easy. And that's why the question I got. Now, admittedly, the more you have in assets, the less likely you're incurring high-interest credit card debt. Since you do what I always recommend on the show, you pay off your balance each month. Now, there is an exception. That's those 0% offers we've talked about. You'd want to keep those as long as you can. Now, the way the minimum payments are designed on those high-interest credit cards is they try to minimize the pain for that cardholder while maximizing their own profits. The less you pay in each month, the more interest being accrued, and thus your debt doesn't actually decrease much, if at all, month to month. So even people that have company matching on their 401k plans might want to first pay off that credit card debt before adding to their 401ks. This absolutely is the best investment. Now, you have to admit, and the example I share here is not from a typical credit card user, but it does give you some tips as to how you can wisely use credit cards as opposed to getting into this bind. And I'm not typical since I learned how to use credit cards wisely to actually expand my credit capacity. Now, in June of 2011, most of you will recall, my office and part of my home burned, and we had to relocate both. So I knew I'd be waiting for reimbursement by the insurance company, and I knew I'd have large expenditures in the meantime. So I borrowed about $80,000 from my credit cards. But not the way most people do by using it for expenses. The way I did is I took cash advances with 0% offers. And yes, I know, and I clearly should disclose, there are transfer fees. They're typically about 3%, and they are well disclosed. Just read it. Now, if I pay them 3% to use that money for a year or even only six months, it is very low cost, OPM. I invested that money to earn anywhere from 5.5% up to 12% returns. 
And if you don't know how to do that, call me. Which means those investments paid me monthly amounts that exceeded the minimum principal payments on the credit cards. And gradually, I repaid those cards as the insurance company reimbursed us for the expenditures. By the way, as I paid off the 0% debt, those banks often send me another 0% offer soon afterwards. It, what are they doing? They're, trying to ho- they're hoping for the fact that I won't be able to pay it off next time, that I'll be caught up in those high rates. The expenses we incurred during that time, we put on other credit cards and, of course, paid them off each month. Now, we're slowly wrapping up the process. Yes, 18 months later, and actually it's more than that. It's over 20 months later, and my investments continue to pay me more than I owe on each of my credit cards. Yes, it is possible to use credit cards wisely, despite all the hoops the banks, credit card companies, and now the new government protection agencies make us jump through. You just need to learn to take advantage of them. Okay, let's move on to the fourth question we'll talk about today. Some tips for becoming frugal. Tip number one, I'll quote Stephen Covey. Start with the end in mind. When Disney World opened in Orlando, many dignitaries at that grand opening commented it was a shame that Walt Disney wasn't still alive to see this place. One of the executives at at, uh, Walt Disney, uh, Disney Corporation commented, he saw this place many years ago, or it wouldn't be here. So if someone isn't inspired by the end state they can achieve by being frugal, they won't. Now, you've heard on past uh, various past shows that uh, one of the key attributes of millionaires, actually one of the very key ones, is they earn a lot and spend little. In other words, they're frugal. And I can assure you, they didn't become frugal once they're millionaires. They became millionaires because they're frugal. So you and other listeners already know that being frugal is an important component of becoming wealthy. Let me add as part of this uh, comment from... Uh, Steve Covey, uh, keep the end in mind, start with the end in mind. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Napoleon Hill added, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it will achieve. Let's move to tip number two. And you'll notice it ties in to that quote I mentioned from Zig Ziglar near the beginning. Unplug the TV and cancel the cable or satellite dish in itself. A cost savings. Now, if some of your family members are just absolutely addicted and they can't survive without a TV, buy a digital antenna to capture the basic channels in your area. The payback on that antenna could be weeks if you're close to some of the antennas or if you need to buy a more um, expensive, the transmitters is what I meant, but if you need to get a more expensive one, it might take six months, but no more to uh, pay back the cost of that antenna. Tip number three, again inspired by that quote from Zig Ziglar, Read using the time you save. Incidentally, we've got paperback, ebook, and audiobook versions, my personal favorite, formats of the books I recommend. And here's the ones I, rec- I recommended as part of my answer. Start with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which will inspire you enough to continue on this mission. We did a show uh, building on the contents of that book on October 24th, 2011. If you missed it, you might want to re-listen. And I have mentioned that book several times on the show. The next I recommend is The Millionaire Next Door, which might provide you enough information and enough motivation to understand the importance of frugality. Now, for those that want to continue their quest to become truly wealthy, 
continue with Secrets of the Millionaire Mind and Millionaire Mind, two separate books. In the Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, T. Harv Eckert shares 17 wealth files, which we've programmed uh, into our brains, whether we want to or not. They're there. One of my favorites I've nicknamed the PISS Principle. Excuse the French, but that's why I've nicknamed it, P-I-S-S. Not the KISS principle, but the PISS principle. He was defining passive, passive income, and I've taken it a step further to help you remember it. It can be written as passive income is equal to investment plus savings plus simplification. And there you have it. Tip number four, overcome the three obstacles, which means you focus on the opportunities instead. Again, one of those wealth files. So you overcome the obstacles that stop 95 to 98% of people from becoming wealthy. This is the Wealth DNA framework I developed, and it will be writing in a book on that topic. As I mentioned, this radio show has the same name for a very good reason, since we share the ideas which we covered in that book. Let me just remind you of the framework. D is in DNA, of course. It is, uh, oh, if you want to follow this, I should remind you of the show. We had December 24th, 2012, not long ago. You need to develop the true desire to build your wealth. Make the decision to be frugal and do whatever it takes. Have the determination, discipline, and dedication to stick with it. Maybe giving yourself some small rewards for each of your positive steps can help. Incidentally, each of those D words I just used are key aspects of this first obstacle to becoming wealthy, desire. Now, the N in DNA is the second obstacle, knowledge. Now, whether you're an English teacher and want to pronounce it knowledge, or you, like me, start the word with an N, the lack of knowledge is the second obstacle to becoming wealthy. There are plenty of articles, books, and blogs, and suggestions to save money. Pick one. Get the family focused on that one and encourage each of them to pick the next. Well, I'll pick another because I've already told you one. Turn the TV off. A in DNA is action. Even if you read those books and you get inspired and you find several tips to start your frugality quest, nothing happens until you take action. Nike has the right idea here, despite their high prices. Just do it. Now, I seem to have been born with that frugality in my genetic DNA. Although, same family, same background, my sister doesn't. My parents were immigrants, legal immigrants, by the way, who lived in Europe during the Depression and World War II. So somehow the stories they shared about their youth, the struggles, and living through World War II obviously affected my propensity to earn and save. We also grew up in a Polish ghetto in Buffalo, New York, and I was determined to leave there and live a much better life. Now, my parents had improved their station in life dramatically through hard work and frugality, and I guess somehow I realized my starting point was far better than theirs was, so my adult life should be far better. Now, fortunately, I learned about investing and OPM while I was still in college and started investing in assets rather than expenses early. These books I talk about didn't exist back then, which have been major factors for my accumulating wealth and recall the PISS principle. I even taught my mother some investing basics back when she was in her 70s, and she was able to build their portfolio to help them live a comfortable retirement. And as I mentioned earlier, my father had sufficient funds left to live comfortably when he passed away at age 99. How's it worked out for me, this frugality? Well, I semi-retired at 45, and since then I've developed a company 
that has very few limits on its potential earnings. Let's move on to number five, one of the deeper, important questions we'll cover today. What will happen if the U.S. loses its status as a reserve currency? Now, this is not something that's going to occur overnight. The U.S. dollar is the main but not the only reserve currency in the world. The second is the euro. The distant and third and fourth are the pound sterling and Japanese yen. So the primary ones, U.S. dollar and the euro. Now, we already have some history that helps us see the effects of changes of reserve currency. It's happened many times in history. The only recent one, though, is World War II, when the pound sterling gave, a, gave its place to the U.S. dollar as the main reserve currency. Now, this gave the U.K. and other European countries, as well as Japan, the opportunity they were looking for. They wanted to weaken their currencies so they could improve their exports and create jobs to recover from the extensive damage during the war. Now, what we expect to happen is that the Chinese renminbi, as it's written, or more correctly pronounced renminbi, or maybe the yuan, since renminbi is so hard to pronounce, and I'm having trouble today, it'll be added to the major reserve currencies. Now, if you still wonder why we hear two different names, renminbi is the name of the Chinese currency, and yuan is the denomination. See, the majority of other countries, U.S., Europe, uh, Japan, have the same currency and denomination names, which makes it seem confusing to, to the remainder of us. So when you're in China, you don't need to ask how many minbi something will cost. The denomination is yuan. Now, frankly, we already see the first steps in that process as Southeast Asia is already trading commodities amongst themselves using the minbi. Personally, I wouldn't expect to replace the U.S. dollar as the main reserve currency immediately. So the person writing my, the question, I have told them, don't panic. It's not going to happen in one fell swoop. I don't believe it will, at least. It might initially take third place and eventually replace the euro in second place and eventually the U.S. dollar. However it happens, we can expect one thing, the U.S. dollar, the euro, and the yen to weaken. And notice that both Japan and Europe, as well as the U.S., have stepped up their currency printing, in other words, quantitative easing, as we now call it, with the intent of weakening their currencies. Now, as the um, U.S. dollar weakens and those others weaken, then devaluation is identical to inflation. And why we've had many shows on this topic let me remind you of the two main ones. On February 28, 2011, we had Don Goldwater on talking about inflation and more details on the show titled Interest Rates and Inflation. That was October 15, 2012. Now, the easiest way for me to explain the economics is for you to take a look at how many products you currently buy that are made in China. Now, imagine that each of those products goes up, and I'll use an example, let's say 20% price because of the change in reserve currency. In turn, the products that are made in your home country, whether you're in the U.S. or the U.K. or, or in Europe, they go down by 10 or 20 percent. Plus, anything that's commodity-based, like gasoline, copper, steel, also goes up in price by 10 to 20 percent. What will be the net effect on your purchases? Now, unless you only buy products made in your own country and you don't use energy, the net effect will be an increase in prices. 
Now, this is an appropriate place for me to add a comment that I need to put in an article. It's a comment to the U.S. government. Be careful what you wish for. Recall the government, the U.S. government has been pressuring China to strengthen their currency. And an easy way for China to comply is to ask the U.S. and other countries to add the yuan, I'm using that since it's easier to say, as a reserve currency denomination. The U.S. government might get what they asked for with consequences they didn't want or didn't expect. Let's move on to number six, another of these deep and important questions, very related. What investments would help me hedge against inflation, and specifically, how about gold? Now, gold is a monetary commodity. It would increase in price with inflation or devaluation. And using my example, stick with the same numbers, let's say it goes up by 10 to 20%. So yes, gold is a good hedge against inflation. Although the last time I checked our neighborhood grocery store right down the street here, it doesn't accept either gold coins or gold bars for payment. For that matter, they don't even have an exchange rate in their system. Ultimately, you need to convert that gold into your currency in order to buy other things or pay your bills. Now, similar uh, to gold is silver, very similar hedge. And it's hard to say whether silver or gold is better, and I'm not going to try to predict. Silver actually has two components. It's a monetary hedge, just like gold, but it's also an industrial metal. Now, depending on what happens with the economy with that devaluation will determine the answer to whether silver or gold is better. Platinum and palladium, by the way, are also similar to silver. They have both qualities. And actually, I think they might do better because of the additional tensions in South Africa where a lot of those metals are sourced. Now, investments in other commodities will be similar to silver. Uh, an investment that's overlooked and maybe even a better hedge, and this is part of my answer back to the um, person that asked the question, is real estate. Like other commodities, it is a hard asset, and virtually all of the components of building a home go up with inflation. With prices rising, the fuel pump, the grocery store, and at your local Walmart or store, other stores, I can assure you that landlords will be raising the rents. Even though your employer may not raise your pay to keep up with that inflation. I guess I should also remind you of something we've talked about, that as rents rise, properties become more valuable as investments, thus driving housing prices higher. Now, if you look back to the 70s, our recent history on this type of inflation, despite very high interest rates at the time, property values doubled or even tripled in a very short period of time. Now, I should know some of my earlier portfolio gains were due to being a homeowner during the late 70s. Now, I'm sure listeners are thinking about the counter-argument as I say these things, that the cost of labor and the labor component of everything we purchase will get cheaper. Well, because it's local, right? Well, think about the comment I just made about workers. They'll be looking for wage increases to keep up with rising prices. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, most manufacturers and service companies over the last 50 years have worked very, very hard to squeeze out the labor component through automation and technology. So ironically, if, wages, if wage rates do decline, and I don't know if they will, relative to materials, but it is a chance, and that's why I'm, I'm addressing this, it will have much less effect than when the opposite was happening over the last 100 years because labor was a major cost component 
it is shrinking. Now, for both of these topics, I highly recommend you re-listen to our shows with H.L. Quist. Those shows, by the way, on October 25th of 2010 and January 9th, 2012. His expertise, uh, by the way, is studying history and specifically the economic cycles. You might even consider, and I'd recommend adding his weekly podcast to your sources for information. You can just Google his name, H.L. Quist, or send me an email. I'll send you that link. At this point, I need to add a very recent event that has me stumped. For that matter, it not only has me stumped, but it had a dramatic effect on my portfolio. The sudden and dramatic decline in the price of gold and other precious metals this past week. I, cert- I generally, uh, you know, there's these conspiracy theories of how investors and the government are trying to screw things up. I usually take those con- conspiracy theories with a grain of salt. But at the moment, I have no explanation for that sub- sudden drop in precious metals prices other than a coordinated effort to give the appearance of low inflation and economic prosperity. Now, could it be the U.S. Fed conspiring with Goldman Sachs and other banksters to drive down the price of gold? We may not know the answer for months or even years or even decades, but it may turn out that some of the institutions who are now recommending investors short precious metals just might be using the opportunity to close short positions they had. And they're buying those precious metals today while telling their clients to sell. It wouldn't be the first time that some of the major financial institutions were caught and slapped on the wrist with a fine. Though usually you'll find those fines dwarf the additional profits they made using those pronouncements. For those listeners who just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Narak, and we are behind schedule quite a bit because of some technical problems. You can listen to the earlier part on the archive. And uh, you'll know now that there were technical problems at the beginning, so don't worry about the dead air time. Just do some other things in the meantime. If you missed prior shows, you can find the archives on wealthdna.us. Today we're answering recent questions from listeners and the media. We received the most questions related to the show on your home is not an investment. So let me address them. I won't need to give you all the details in my responses. You can re-listen to that show, or if you listened, you already know a lot of this. That show was on March 25th, 2013, just a month ago. And our shows on OPM will give you a lot of the information in July and August of 2011. Okay, so this is questions number seven of the ones we're addressing today. Should I use a fixed or variable rate mortgage? Now, this was an excellent question, so I didn't cover it in prior shows. With the topics we addressed on inflation, you probably already know my answer. Now, by the way, I've occasionally been criticized, and I will add appropriately, for giving too thorough of a response. Someone who's less familiar with a topic than I am may actually get lost in some of the facts and details that I share. In essence, they get lost in the forest because of the trees. That, by the way, I hope you consider part of your role as a listener to the show to give me feedback like that or other suggestions. Or I'll start answering, uh, as I will in this question, by first giving a short or concise answer and then giving more detail. So what was the question again? Should I use a fixed or variable rate mortgage? My short answer is, the answer depends on the timing when you're looking at doing this, and how long you'll own the property. 
which I will remind you, it might be owned longer than the time you're living in it, since you might keep it as an investment property. Now, for the last 35 years, it's been beneficial to use adjustable rate mortgages, since interest rates continue to decline. Currently, anyone planning to live in their home longer than the initial reset period, there's a rate adjustment period, usually about five years on these loans, should use a fixed rate loan. Let me repeat that. Use a fixed rate loan. And those exceptions would be if you're only going to be in the house for a short period of time. Let me add my perspective, by the way, before I give you a little more detail. And I, I put this perspective in my written response so people know where I'm coming from, if you will, in answering this. First, I'm a private mortgage lender on residential properties. You see, I help home buyers who want to own but can't get a bank loan. So I'm in this business. Second, as the host of the Wealthy and a radio show. So I stay in tune to most of the topics that affect personal finance. And my personal specialty is residential real estate, this topic. Third perspective is as a property owner and someone with five traditional mortgages owned by the evil twins, Freddie Mac and Freddie May. And thus, I am eligible for HARP 2.0, which, if you've heard the incorrect definition from the government, it actually stands for Hardly Anyone Can Refinance Program. That's what HARP stands for. We'll have an upcoming show on this topic, but let me give you the response I gave the person that asked. When I took out five traditional mortgages back in 2007 to 2008, four of them were fixed rate, one was adjustable. You see, at that time, I was unsure whether interest rates would be higher in five years. It really wasn't clear that crystal ball was foggy. But my horizon for the investment properties was only three years, so I really didn't care. Since I offer the program, the properties under a leased-owned solution, so my expectation was clients would buy them within three years. Now, during the Great Recession, the vast majority of our clients defaulted, and it became pretty obvious I'd own these properties longer. Now, just last month, so March of 2013, the, f the uh, one mortgage I had with the, the um, adjustable rate reset. It went from 6.375, 6 and 3 eighths, to approximately 3.5%. So it is by far the best mortgage debt in my portfolio. Now, interest rates will rise as inflation becomes evident. The government and the Fed is working, as I mentioned, very hard to keep interest rates low and giving the perception that inflation is low. But check your own personal expenses and you'll see most have risen far more than the 2% annually. Now, all of the money being printed by the Fed, and by the way, in Europe and now in Japan, and I'll just name a few programs, QE1, QE2, the Twist Program, several others in there, and now QE Infinity will cause devaluation of the U.S. dollar, which, as we mentioned earlier, is the same as inflation. Eventually, the market will correct. Interest rates will rise despite the government's attempt to resist. Again, I'll refer to the shows that I mentioned earlier on inflation and mortgages to substantiate my comments. Now, let me just share briefly my perspective on attempting to refinance uh, for fixed rate mortgages. I can't now do the uh, adjustable, and I'll talk about that in our other show. I've recently been turned down to refinance the first of them. Now, this is despite, and these are, these are some facts, despite having a mid-credit score of 710, which is considered very good, never missed or been late on a single payment in 40 years, 
I've got millions of dollars in assets. My debt-to-income, we affectionately call it DTI, is below the guidelines that have been published. Now, granted, I do have about a million dollars or so on my credit board of, of, of debt, so that, you know, that does hurt it some. And all of the properties I'm trying to refinance meet the Fannie and Freddie guidelines. But what happened is the bank underwriters just didn't want to wade through 500-plus pages of backup that my mortgage broker provided. He's been working with me for five years, so he knows the complexity of my business. If you just take my annual tax returns, which run about 50 pages each, and they require three years, there's 150 pages right there. Now, the, re- the reason they require three years is I don't get W-2 income. Now, their official reason for declining that refinance after working on it for about a year, by the way, my debt to income, my DTI, was too high. You see, the underwriter didn't want to recognize that I had $120,000 of depreciation and imputed income that should be added back to my income. And adding back to depreciation is an industry standard. And in the case of the imputed income, the mortgages are actually paid on my behalf by my corporation. So that income isn't showing up on my tax return. But of course, they're counting it in my expenses. The second factor, they said, in case we try to get convinced or you try to convince us that the DTI is okay, as my mortgage broker had told them, they'll just go back on the property's loan-to-value is too high. Now, that's despite the fact that the government guidelines say there's no cap on loan-to-value. And if you actually compare actual market value of the property I was refinancing versus what the banks were using, the property is not even underwater. So now you can see why HARP is an acronym for Hardly Anyone Can Refinance Program. Now, if you've attempted to refinance under HARP or HARP 2.0, I'd love to get some feedback on your success or your failure in getting that refinance. It'll help us in putting our more detailed show together. Okay, let's move to question eight. We're going to be tight on time today. Should I pay off the mortgage on my home? You probably already know the answer based on tip number three for seniors. But it's important that I emphasize something I didn't mention earlier. The conditions under which you would want to pay off your mortgage. The simple answer I gave earlier in just two words, do not refinance or to pay off, excuse me. If anything, you want to try to refinance, if you do, if you qualify, to have less equity in your home. So that was my short answer. But when is that short answer not appropriate? There are actually two situations, which I didn't mention earlier, and that's because I know the listeners of the Wealth DNA Radio Show very, very rarely fit into one of these two situations. But it could happen that someone who listened to this show or maybe was sent a link, this comment may be important for them. So here are the two situations in which case you would pay off your mortgage if you don't have the true desire and dedication to do what it takes to become wealthy. The money they would dedicate, the people that don't have that uh, to uh, paying off their mortgage or money they receive after refinancing will never make it to their investment portfolio. So in their case, they should pay off the mortgage. The second situation, if you can't find investments that give you a significantly better return the interest rate on your mortgage. So if you're putting a significant portion of your uh, portfolio in savings accounts, money markets, or CDs for long periods of time, you might be better off paying down or paying off your mortgage. Now, I don't expect either of these situations apply to the listeners of the Wealth DNA Radio Show, but if it does apply to you, contact me. I'll give you some valuable suggestions. 
Let's move to question number nine. Should I take a home equity loan on my home and invest that money? Now, the answer to this one, very similar. Of course, these were different uh, questions from different uh, uh, people. But the answer to this one is exactly the flip side of my prior answer. The simple answer is yes. The exceptions would be if you want to fit into one of the two situations I just mentioned. Now, I should add, uh, for completeness, and I, hopefully I mentioned this in prior shows, most home equity lines of credit have a variable interest rate. So today, those interest rates are extremely low. They're typically between 3 and 3.5%. Three and so I encourage you to take out those lines of credit and invest those funds. Now, as interest rates start to rise, notice I didn't say if they rise. I'm basically saying when you notice interest rates rising, you should contact your mortgage lender, convert some or all of that line of credit into a home equity loan. That will lock your interest rates, but it generally starts to amortize that loan over a 10-year period, so you're not paying down principal. Paying down principal in today's low interest and environment is not a good idea. Now, question number 10. This will be the final one for today. What are the prospects for mortgage financing in 2013? Well, this is one of those questions that made me think more than the others. No, not because I didn't know the answer, because I have an answer, and several. It's because it means that somebody out there is probably hearing something optimistic, and I can't figure out what it might be. Now, I started by saying that I'm not sure if you've heard some reasons that should give you optimism that mortgage lending is improving in the near future. I continue to see clouds in the foreseeable future with no silver linings. Now, as I did when I answered question number seven, I shared my perspective, namely that I'm a private mortgage lender, I'm the host of the Wealth DNA Radio Show, and I am a property owner with five traditional mortgages who's trying to refinance and have been for the last four years trying to get additional mortgages. The most recent, so this isn't you know old history, most recently was March of 2013, just a month ago. Now, I'll share my top 11 concerns as I did in my response, and I'll share them in the manner I learned from David Letterman. Concern number 11, the demand for our private financing of properties is increasing, not declining. Concern number 10, I see no signs that banks are expanding their mortgage lending other than their advertising. Note, if you ask individual mortgage lenders how their business is going, they'll say they're as busy as they were during the housing boom, implying things are great. The problem with that comment is there are 90% fewer mortgage lenders in the industry now. That is one-tenth as many still in the mortgage business. Number nine, the vast majority of mortgage loans made today are done with FHA guarantees. Number eight, FHA is essentially bankrupt. So they just raised the mortgage insurance rate as of April 1st, 2013. If you didn't know that, that's not an April Fool's joke. And we'll be charging the insurance for the life of the loan starting June 3rd. Incidentally, my son just missed that first deadline by a few days, but did it get it done before the June 3rd increase? All right, and concern number seven. A much higher percentage of young people are, de are deciding to rent versus own, which means a higher percentage of purchases will be housing providers like me. We also are called landlords or investors. 
but most of these housing providers will not be able to get mortgage loans on investment properties. And I have an example. My most recent application for our company to get financing from Bank of America to, to acquire a short sale from Bank of America. In other words, in order to get rid of a short sale, we're, if you finance us, we'll take it. By the way, Bank of America has been trying to sell this particular uh, property for over two years. They refused. Their policy to not lend to companies for investment properties. End of discussion. Concern number six. Several millionaires have come to us to provide private mortgage loans on their homes since banks turned them down for mortgages. Concern number five. People who own their homes free and clear come to us to refinance so they can use the proceeds for surgery since the banks turned them down for mortgages. I'll share a few of these heartwarming stories in an upcoming article and a future show which I might, which just might help some people change their perception of those damn investors. Number four, the HARP 2.0 program is not much more successful than HARP, and we've changed the official name of the program to hardly anyone can refinance program. Concern number three, the primary reason is that banks are including overlays to the Fannie and Freddie guidelines. Banks have the right to refinance these loans for Fannie and Freddie, but they have no obligation. Concern number two, I've personally been turned down for a refinance in the first of my HARP 2.0 loans recently, despite the facts that I mentioned earlier, and of course in that response I mentioned those facts. The bank underwriters just didn't want to wade through 500 pages of backup provided by my mortgage broker. And finally, my top concern for um, mortgage financing in the future, number one, drum roll please, the low interest rates are discouraging banks from lending. Just view it this way. Would you lend for 30 years at 3.5% knowing that interest rates would be 5, 10, or 15% in just 5 or 10 years from now? I certainly won't. Nor would any banker who remembers the SNL crisis, which was really due to such a spike in interest rates. Now, even Sheila Baer, if you don't recognize the name, she's the former head of the FDIC. She's taken on an objective perspective and agrees what I've been saying for two years in her interview on Yahoo's The Daily Ticker. Just Google Sheila Baer, uh, B-A-I-R, and interest rates, you'll find that, or I can send you the link. And um, I also asked the person who submitted the question to send me any feedback on optimistic reasons or copies of any articles that are implying that mortgage lending is better, because I don't see it. All right, let me try to summarize our, our challenging show today, challenging that we had a lot of technical problems at the beginning. There you have it. Ten great questions we've received recently and my answers. Recall at the very beginning I said that you may not either agree with or even like some of my answers. But I assured you that each of the answers are consistent with what I believe and know based on my many years of investing experience in various markets and various economic cycles. I also assured you that none of the answers violates any of the Ten Commandments of investing. Now, let me reemphasize the answer to the question I asked you at the very beginning. What investment has the highest return and lowest risk of all? Now, you know the answer. It's paying off high interest credit cards. All right, and remember that. If you have any of those, pay those first. Don't look at 
buying stocks or bonds or anything else. First, pay those off. Now, if you're a senior, senior at the very beginning, you heard some of my tips and ideas how to start a search for a new career after retirement, if you choose to do that. Now, if you missed several past shows, I also shared several recommendations related to the questions we addressed today. More importantly, I'm hoping you heard a number of good reasons to listen every two weeks. Now, the only question I couldn't satisfactorily answer is why the price of gold and other precious metals dropped so dramatically recently. Now, if you've got a long-term perspective and stick to the fundamentals investing, as I do, you know that there is inflation pent up in most developed economies. So those prices of gold and precious metals will not only recover to their prior highs, they'll likely soar to levels even the gold bugs haven't imagined. Now, I didn't mention it earlier. There is a possibility of deflation for a short period of time, and that's what the Fed is worried about especially if the U.S. and European economies slow below their already anemic growth rates. But don't worry about that. It couldn't happen. Let me tell you the reason it can't happen. We can't have a recession. See, the U.S. budget was just released, uh, the proposed budget, and in there are 10-year projections submitted by the administration. And in those projections, they don't have a single recession planned. By the way, this is, I think, the first budget they've developed in five years. But there is no recession planned in the next 10 years. So you don't have to worry about a recession, right? Now, I shared a number of the upcoming topics we'll cover, like long-term care insurance, which I was asked about, U.S. health care insurance, as we enter this area of Obamacare. We'll also have a show on annuities, reverse mortgages, HARP 2.0, and we'll probably touch on the upcoming HARP 3.0 which may have even less effect on homeowners than the first two versions. A key question I should ask you, and you should ask some of your friends, family, and neighbors, what topics would you like us to cover? Additionally, I'll remind you that I welcome your questions, and I welcome your comments and suggestions. And you see, would they do get answered on the air and in emails. And I'm especially interested in any comments you have about recent attempts, whether successful or not, to refinance mortgages. We won't mention your name on the show unless you specifically agree we can, but hopefully you'll allow us to share your Social Security number and PIN. I was just checking if you're still listening. I, uh, I reference excuse me, a number of shows on our uh, growing archive, which is a great reminder to encourage you to listen to the upcoming programs. For the next two months, we'll be continuing our series on alternative investments. Our next show will have uh, Curtis Gunn and Horner Bass. They run one of the angel capital firms in Arizona. We'll be talking about both angel capital, and venture capital. Now, if everything works as planned, the following two shows will continue that discussion on those topics. After that, we'll have experts on commodities, forex trading, and a guest to share some insights on the education most financial advisors and financial planners have on uh, alternative investments. And I suspect it's thin. And remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth is to tune into this show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, share some great ideas, inspire you to be as wealthy as you can be. And the next Wealth DNA Radio Show, second Monday of May. That's Monday, May 13th, 9 a.m. Arizona. Arizona time, of course, and your time will differ depending on what part of the world you're in. Same place, same time. And remember, the archives of past shows and this show are available on WealthDNA.us 
If you have some comments on today's show other than the technical problems, and I apologize for those, if you have some suggestions or additional questions, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And I hope you enjoyed the great questions we got as much as I did. Happy investing. From the